It won't be so bad. I've heard that Bajor is a beautiful world. So why can't we live on the planet instead of some old space station? The station is in orbit of Bajor. It'll be just like shore duty. Will there be kids there? Absolutely. Lots of kids. Bridge to Cisco. Yes, Captain. We're approaching Deep Space Nine, Commander. We'll be docking in seven minutes. Acknowledged. Welcome back to another episode of the Fez Talks Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Fez. Today on the podcast, we're talking about the Deep Space Nine pilot, Emissary. So without any further ado, let's get into it. At the edge of the universe, when the future is in peril, got Cardassians on our back doorstep. One man faces an impossible mission. I will do the job I've been ordered to do, sir. To protect a defenseless space station. I don't believe the Federation has any business being here. Command an untested crew. And to relive a deadly encounter. You will disarm your weapons. Next time on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Emissary premiered on January 3rd, 1993. Story by Michael Piller and Rick Berman. Teleplay by Michael Piller. Directed by David Carson. The in-universe star date for the flashback is 44002.3, which is the Battle of Wolf 359. And the contemporary date is star date 46379.1. Three years after his wife died at the hands of the Borg, and following the Cardassian withdrawal from Bajor. Commander Benjamin Sisko and a new crew of Starfleet and Bajoran personnel take command of an abandoned Cardassian station and make an incredible discovery that will change the galaxy and ultimately Sisko's path. Starring Avery Brooks as Commander Benjamin Sisko, Rene Herbergenois as Constable Odo, Sidig El Fidel, or later on Alexander Sigdig as Dr. Julian Bashir, Terry Farrell as Lieutenant Dax, Sirach Rofton as Jake Sisko, Call Meany as Chief Miles Edward O'Brien, Armin Shimmerman as Cork, and Nana Visitor as Major Kira Nerys. Special guest star Patrick Stewart as Captain Jean-Luc Picard and Lacutus Borg. Guest starring... Camille Salovia as Kaiopaka, Felicia M. Bell as Jennifer Sisko, and Mark Alimo as Gal Ducat. We'll pause for a second before we get into my conversation with Sky about Emissary with a little setup. 
Commence station log, Deep Space Nine, Commander Benjamin Sisko, Stardate 46388.2. At the request of the Bajoran Provisional Government, Starfleet has agreed to establish a Federation presence in this system following the withdrawal of the Cardassian Occupational Forces. The first contingent of officers, including my Chief of Operations, Miles O'Brien, arrived two days ago on the Enterprise. So this week on Fez Talks, we have a returning guest, and it's my friend Sky. Sky, say hi. Hi, Sky. <laughs> I did not mean that to rhyme. That re- <laughs> that really. Anyway, so Sky, you and I are about the same age. We're in our at least I'm in my thirties, and I think you're close to your thirties. In, in my thirties. Mm-hmm. So I personally don't remember you know, seeing Emissary uh, when it premiered. And I'm kind of sure that you didn't either. No, um, at the time, my mom was still watching TNG. Um, and I barely remember watching the, like, episodes of Voyager that I've watched, <laughs> like the early episodes of Voyager. Um those were the first ones I remember watching as they were premiering live. Um, so I don't remember the, the later seasons of TNG and the first early seasons of DS9. I don't remember. Um, the earliest I can remember is the early seasons of Voyager. It's funny. Like I was having this discussion uh, the other day and I don't remember watching most of the Deep Space Nine episodes, but mainly because at least in the Northeast, you know, where I am, it was on a WPIX 11 on Saturdays. It's it, and it, it always got preempted by like a baseball game, football, basketball, something. So you, whereas now, you know, you could literally go through a whole season arc or the, the episode arcs that we had and not skip a beat every time that I would watch Deep Space Nine. It, it was always, here's this episode, and here's three weeks later, like two weeks later after it got preempted. So it, it, I, I always felt like I was missing a piece. Um, before we get into our big topic of Emissary, um, we talked about last time you're a big Star Wars fan, Mass Effect and everything. How did you get into Star Trek? My mom. Um, when I said I remember watching early episodes of Voyager, I mean it. Like those are some of my earliest memories. Um, my mom would be like, "Okay, if you watch Star Trek with me, you can stay up, but you can't talk because mommy hasn't seen this episode, so you can't talk over it." So I had to be good. I had to be quiet, and I'd watch Star Trek with her. And I remember not really getting it when I was that age. Um, But uh, I remember, like, uh, when I was 11 or so, um, there was a TNG marathon on Spike TV back when Spike TV was a thing. A channel for men, quote unquote. (laughs) Um, And... There was a, they often had marathons of the TOS movies. Um, And I remember that was like my first exposure to the TOS crew. 
And then there was a TNG marathon around Thanksgiving. Like it was like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was this like solid TNG marathon. And they were just running through like season three through, I think it got through like season six and they were doing it like all day until like broadcast ended at the night in the night time. And it was just like, I was hooked at that point. Um, I just really loved um, the whole like, you know, kind of brainy aspect of it because I was such a nerd. Like I was kind of coming into my own as a nerd um, in middle school and um, and it was just, it just spoke to me as someone who wanted to like go into space and who wanted to be an engineer and that kind of thing. So um, it was like, just, it, it, it took me a little bit, a little while, but it kind of uh, hit the right buttons for me a little bit later in life. So, but it was definitely because of my mom. Oh, you're such a geek. Yeah, yeah, I am. You know, at first, I didn't think I was going to like him. So, uh, I've told you my story, and everybody on the podcast knows my story. Um, but, so, let, let's talk about what are your earliest memories of Deep Space Nine, even like, even before, like, you know, talking about emissary. Um, who, who's your favorite Star Trek character? It doesn't have to be a Deep Space Nine character. And what is your favorite series? Um, my favorite character is probably Data. Um, and then my favorite series is probably Deep Space Nine or Voyager. I kind of like bounce between the two, between like which one I really like. DS9 is definitely the more coherent and like I think better written series, but um voyager kind of has a place in my heart as like my first crew my first like trek um so uh i do have like a special place for them but um i really think that uh i like um deep space nine's like more serialized format and the fact that they saw the Romulans a lot more. The Romulans are my favorite when I was growing up. Um, and I remember wanting to see the two-parter, like the Dias cast and Improbable Cause, Improbable Cause and Dias cast in season three really badly because like it featured the Romulan fleet and stuff. Um, and so I scraped together like my allowance, my money, you know, and I bought season three of Deep Space Nine, you know, because those things were like 85 bucks back in the day. Um, and, uh, and it was even more expensive then than it is now, uh, 85 bucks is. And so um, I bought that season three and um, like, I quickly really liked Garrick. Um, those were the first episodes of DS9 I had ever actually watched. I'd only ever read about them previously. So it was really interesting. Um, you know, I'd read some of the books featuring the crew and that kind of thing, but I'd never actually seen any East Space Nine up until that point. Um, just because by the time I was watching the series, 
Voyager had ended, um, Enterprise was airing, but like to see any of the other stuff, you had to see it in syndication and it was super spotty. Like the TV schedule was super spotty. Like I remember wanting to see Balance of Terror really bad. And so I marked it on my calendar when it was going to be airing on the Star Trek website. I marked it on my calendar for like three months <laughs> in the future. And <laughs> I ended up catching it on, on uh, I don't remember what channel it was, but I catching it on another channel. And that's just kind of how it was back then, you know? So when people are like, oh, well, I have to pay extra money you know I have to pay money for this CBS all access or this Paramount plus thing I I don't like it I go it's a excuse me it's a lot better than it was you know where you had to pay like 90 bucks a season just to watch the episode you wanted to watch and now it's all on demand for like seven dollars a month (laughs) plus you get everything else you get everything else like I mean there's Spongebob that's a millennial you know, appeal as well. <laughs> I mean, they also have uh, Rocco's Modern Life, mm-hmm. uh, yep. all, all those old Nickelodeon shows, because I yep. guess Paramount Plus is, is is Nickelodeon. Yeah, Paramount owns Nickelodeon, I think now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, I, I kind of just like, it's just like, I'm like, I pay that just for Star Trek. <laughs> um, now for you, for you children that are tilting your head saying you marked your calendar out three months in advance that's when we had these things called tv guides and you had (laughs) an actual schedule as to when things were coming out Mm -hmm. yep tv schedule probably like mystify the younger generation they're probably it's that (laughs) well it's that it's um VHSs and DVDs for some of these kids because mm-hmm. you we're, we're the I think we're the last like generation that had the VHSs. Uh, if, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. Because I I remember going down to uh, down the street from my house to Tommy K Videos to go get like any of the Star Trek. Well, specifically original series and Next Generation because they had a they had this Star Trek wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I remember Blockbuster. That's how I saw all the movies because I rented them. Um, my parents had the TNG movies, but not the TOS movies. So the TOS movies I rented uh, from Blong- Blockbuster. Like you would go to Blockbuster on a Friday night and, you know, get all the movies for movie night going into the weekend. Like that's what I, yeah, that's something that my family did song is like our grades were up to snuff and that kind of thing at the end of the week um and we turned in all our assignments like that was kind of our treat at the end of the week and then um because that's how I got into back to the future that's how I got into the Star Trek movies that's how I got into so many other movies that's how I discovered mystery men (laughs) um and uh as so many of my other favorite movies um and uh but they didn't have the series they didn't have the full series those were still coming out on the dvd the big dvd sets back then and they were expensive um and they didn't rent out like entire seasons of series yet i don't think um and then but yeah no uh and my mom used to record i saw like tng most of tng 
through like the fourth season um, my mom had it recorded on VHS tapes so there were like two episodes per tape <laughs> and I remember just popping those things in the VCR and doing my math homework as I was watching Star Trek <laughs> don't forget Sky make it a blockbuster night oh my gosh that takes me back I actually miss blockbuster because I also had blockbuster down the street from my house had I had the two so like whatever I couldn't get at Tommy K's videos I would go down to blockbuster and it's funny that you even mentioned mystery men because that was one of those big movies I remember going down and saying oh look it's like superhero heroes only stupider (laughs) superheroes but make it stupid and funny (laughs) like I remember like the ads for that movie and like I did not know what to expect and I was just like this looks stupid and funny let's watch this and see if it's any good and I loved it my family loved it it's one of our favorites have you ever explored your power commander power a Bajoran draws courage from his spiritual life our life force our power is replenished by the prophets. One who does not wish to be among us is to be the emissary. Please come with me. So getting back to DS9 and emissary, um, first time I remember watching it, I was probably around 11 years old, so way out of syndication. Um, I think, I think, It was when I got at least the first season of Deep Space Nine on DVD. So I was starting to do a rewatch the old-fashioned way with DVDs. Um, And just coming from an 11-year-old mind, um, what I do remember is how I was shocked that we start off with my all-time favorite Star Trek episode with the best of both worlds. So we get part of the Battle of Wolf 359 and we get Lakutus Borg and we get it from the perspective of Cisco on the uh, Saratoga. Um, uh, a lot of the things as, as a kid, I don't think really hit with me because I think it was a little too, maybe too high concept for me to understand. Like, you know, Cisco being the emissary and then the whole uh, the celestial temple, the wormhole and all that stuff. Um, but I did end up enjoying it, if not just because of some of the interactions like between uh, Odo and Kira right before they tried to go rescue Cisco in the runabout, uh, Dax and Cisco, that felt very natural. Um, and obviously, Picard's goodbye to O'Brien on the Enterprise D. I thought that was really, really done well. Um, what What do you remember as like your first thoughts seeing so, it as a kid? I didn't actually, because it was just not as accessible to me. Um, I don't ever actually remember watching Emissary for the first time until it came to Netflix. When Netflix was first becoming like a streaming service when streaming services were born really like up until that point Netflix was you get the DVD disc in the mail 
and then like they're like oh we have this like streaming service that like supplements our dvd library and then we're like okay well is it worth the five dollars a month and i remember like as a freshman or a sophomore like a friend of mine had it and then i realized it had star trek on it and I, like all of the star trek on it and i was like oh my god i can watch any star trek i want and that was like a huge revelation um and so that's when i started really watching all the series like all the way through um i was in college at that point and i just remember i don't really remember first impressions from emissary um i just i had read about it um i'd read about like the premise of the plot and what have you um so it didn't take me by surprise that cisco was on the saratoga or anything or that he was very chilly with picard um i think that's something that a lot of people that i know that watched it you know for the first time going in you know not not knowing anything not expecting anything everybody's like oh wow he's really like not into Picard and at the time Picard was like the paragon of the Star Trek franchise so I think it was a really bold direction to go at the time especially um and it really like sets Deep Space Nine apart like in a big way because you really Cisco is not Picard and Cisco is very much his own character his own motivations um and uh and I think this this episode is really all about not just introducing all the characters, but setting up Cisco um, and setting up the first black lead in the franchise. And that was a big deal at the time as well. So, um, what? Let me figure out how to word this. Um, Do you have a favorite scene or a couple of scenes um, so in the episode? I do like the scene with Kyle Paca. Um, and because Kyle Paca just steals the scene in everything she's in. Um, and then uh, I really like the scene where they're moving the station. Computer, transfer energy from the inertial dampers to reinforce the subspace field. Procedure is not recommended. Damn it, transfer the energy. Unable to comply. Level one safety protocols have canceled request. Canceled? Warning, subspace field collapse in 30 seconds. That really hit me on my most recent watch of the episode because they move the station basically by reducing its mass. So they basically do a mass effect. They basically like apply it's basically doing mass effect technology in star trek to propel the station to the wormhole and like i remember thinking that being like i had not thought of that before like in previous like watch throughs of the series i had not realized i'm like oh they're basically using mass effect technology <laughs> they're just using it with star trek terminology versus mass effect terminology but they're reducing the mass of the station so that it's light enough that the thrusters that it has can move it that far um and that's basically the same principle around the mass effect technologies so i was just like that's interesting and so i i pinged my my friend my friend dr aaron mack um and i was just like i was like hey did you realize that they use mass effect technology in emissary <laughs> and she's like 
really? And like, she goes back and watches. She goes, you are totally so right. <laughs> Computer, you and I need to have a little talk. Beth O'Brien after um, they they start moving uh, the station after he gets the bubble to work. Yeah, the station is fighting them the whole time because of the Cardassian protocols. Yeah, it kind of sets up the whole like O'Brien fighting with the technology on the station constantly that you see all throughout the series. <laughs> that procedure is not recommended. <laughs> Like, we're Starfleet. We do things that are not recommended all the time. Um, me, um, I, I really like the introduction of Kira. I have been fighting for Bajoran independence since I was old enough to pick up a phaser. We finally drive the Cardassians out. And what do our new leaders do? They call up the Federation and invite them right in. The Federation is only here to help, help us. Yes, I know. The Cardassians said the same thing 60 years ago. Major, when I was ordered here, I requested a Bajoran national as my first officer. It made sense. It still does, at least to me. And I say that I did a, a Women of Star Trek episode on the podcast a couple months ago. And I feel that this is the series that really writes to the women that are in the roles versus all the other shows. And, and maybe for the exception of the character of Captain Janeway in Voyager, because I, I, you know, I'm a big Star Trek fan. I've seen all the episodes about a billion times. Uh, it's, it's the one criticism I have for Star Trek in general is that they very rarely give scenes to are lead female characters for the most part. Mm -hmm. They don't have they don't give them something to chew on like I don't know. Good example is Commander Riker gets more to chew on than Counselor Troy. Yeah, like in TNG they really like didn't do well by Crusher and Troy specifically. Um they kind of felt like token female characters a lot of the time. Um but yeah, no, Deep Space Nine, and I think that's, you know, due in part to Ira Stephen Bear um, and his writing. Um, you see these women with so much more agency. Um, they're, because Kira is a battle-hardened, you know, resistance fighter, and Judzia is like a super, like, super smart scientist. Um, and so like their roles are not even like, like traditional female type of roles. Cause like in the next generation, it's like, Ooh, the counselor being female is pretty like stereotypical and the doctor being female. That's another caring type of, of role. That's a little bit more like, you know, easier quote unquote to write a, a female role into. Um, but it's but with uh kira and dax it's a lot more breaking the mold um because not only is kira you know this this battle-hardened fighter she's the first officer and not only is dax a super smart scientist but she is like the latest in a long line of personalities um the last of which was male benjamin 
I was happy when I heard you accepted this assignment. I'd been worried about you. It's good to see you too, old man. And <laughs> very well respected in a male-dominated culture. So, you know, and and has a familiarity with Cisco that's very buddy-buddy. Um, and you don't see, you didn't see that kind of uh, relationship between a male character and a female character previously. Um, it, there was always like some sort of romantic charge to it, like with Crusher, with Picard and Riker, with Troy. Um, but that's not the case with uh, uh, Jedzia and, um, uh, and Kira. So, you know, you're passing the Betchel test right there. Just, you know, they're, they're talking about business. They're not talking about their romantic lives really at all. Um, and uh, it's really, really refreshing. Um, and I think it's probably one of the reasons why um, Kira and Dax to me are so dear as characters. I think what endears me to them, not only that, having strong women in my family um, is another big reason, but in particular with Kira, as I've gotten older, as somebody who has PTSD, I recognize that PTSD when we first meet Kira and she deals with it th throughout the whole entire show. And I think that's why that she appeals to me. And I've always had women close friends. And that's why I, I, I read that, that specifically Jed Zia Dax resonates with me because I, I'm always like the, in quotes, Cisco to whoever the girl is as Dax mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and going to advice all the time too. Yeah. Well, and people who follow me on Twitter know this, but like Josie Dax was my first like female crush um, before I even really knew what being bisexual was. Like back then it's like, oh, you're gay or you're straight. I didn't really like, and I'm like, well, I, I like, I think Bashir is attractive too, but what about Jetsia? And I like remember being so confused by that, <laughs> but but Jetsia was definitely like the first woman I definitely had a crush on that I can remember. <laughs> Terry is gorgeous. She's still gorgeous. Terry is not only gorgeous, but she is a gorgeous soul. I, I having met her and having had conversations with her, she she is truly a sweetheart. Mm -hmm. yeah um my mom's actually met her and from what I understand from her meeting of, of her that uh that's very true um that's an interesting story but I can get to it at another time <laughs> Jadzia oh. maybe we could get together later for dinner or, 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 or drink I'd be delighted Funny enough that you mentioned Julian, because mm -hmm. that's one, one of those things that it's so divided in the fan base, mm -hmm. how Julian at the beginning is such a dude. He's a I, or, or, such a fuck or, boy. <laughs> you know what? I was thinking that term, but I was like <laughs> kind of grasping at straws. He was a fuck boy before we know, knew what a fuck boy was. Yeah, kind of almost the original fuck boy. You know what? That's I, that's the the title of this this episode. Bashir, the original fuckboy. <laughs> uh, he luckily he does get very good like 
character development throughout the series but yeah definitely early on he's like I like that scene where he is in the sick bay and it's a freaking mess and Kira has brought him there and he's just like oh frontier medicine this is so exciting I you know dreamed about doing this when I was at the medical academy and yada 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 and she's just like yeah yeah I actually fucking live out here the farthest reaches of the galaxy one of the most remote outposts available this is where the adventure is this is where heroes are made right here in the wilderness this wilderness is my home. Exactly. She's just like not impressed. And he's like, oh, crap. And I just, <laughs> I just love how she just gives him shit uh-huh. right before they go get Cisco. Come on, Doc. Time to be a hero. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? The, the, the most interesting character... Uh, you know, other than Gul Dukat, who gets a massive, massive arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, that I find very, very interesting is Odo. Yes, definitely. And I don't know whether it's just the way Odo's written or it's the way Rene Aubergenois, you know, brings life to the character. I don't know whether whether it's one or the other or some combination of the two, but like from Jump Street, you you want to know exactly who he is, where he came from, mm-hmm. just like Odo does. Right. It's like this big mis- big mystery for the first two, three seasons before we find out where he comes from and you know, it that 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 that's my that that's always been my my uh big thing with emissary other than it's one of one of the more interesting concepts that they never i don't think they ever really truly repeat in star trek no is the whole the whole um not only the auto thing but the Cisco being the emissary to the prophets and the prophets themselves because star trek very rarely ever dives into religion deep space nine Mm -hmm. is the only really the only show that delves into religion and grant you it's not a earthbound religion Mm -hmm. it's something outside which is something that all the modern day star trek when we were growing up did they didn't do the religion thing they didn't do um especially for voyager which is actually funny that we brought up the the whole uh women being cardboard characters out in voyager uh, voyager deep uh, png the the opposite was true for voyager the men Uh were the cardboard cardboard characters unless they were an alien like a tuvok or a neelix Uh Actually, I rem- I remember uh, Garrett Wong saying that they literally gave a memo to the male star, uh, the male or the human Starfleet actor yeah. saying, "You need to, you can't you need be too to be interesting. interesting. You can't be too interesting." Basically, yeah. I, he talked about that on the Delta Flyers podcast, and I'm I'm pretty sure he's probably told that story at conventions too, because yeah, he's a big convention guy. Funny enough, I he I feel like he told me that once because i met him in vegas um years back and i 
and actually sat with him at New York Comic Con a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I so I feel like I heard that from him directly versus. Well, I like, I don't doubt it. Um, because I sat with Garrett as well. Um, at Phoenix Comic Con and at Dragon Con, so um, he's just super personable and we'll talk to fans at the drop of the hat um and uh but i do think that robbie kind of broke the mold on that a little bit of kind of broke that because like i think tom paris gets more interesting as as the series goes on um yes ma'am yes ma'am uh <laughs> um you know because he has some pretty interesting development in terms of like yeah, he's got daddy issues and stuff, but he's more than fuckboy with daddy issues. Um, I'm I'm also a card carrying member of the Tom Paris Apologist fan club. So. No, you know what? I I, I love my favorite duo or couple in Star Trek. Take out Kirk and Spock because I can't I can't I love them. They're on a different level. Yeah, right can't do that but if i had to choose a a couple that i that i personally love and i feel like my best friend and i are like it's tom and harry yeah. honestly me being the harry and him being the tom which is actually yeah. kind of fun <laughs> and, and yeah like i remember seeing a meme that was like basically like tom and harry are, are the last two brain cells meme and like mm-hmm. yeah they're very much the last two brain cells meme <laughs> Um. It is corporeal, a physical entity. What? What did you say? It is responding to visual and auditory stimuli. Linguistic communication. Yes, linguistic communication. Are you capable of communicating with me? What are you? My species is known as human. I come from a planet called Earth. Story-wise, what what do you like about about this episode, and what don't you like? Um, I do like that it really kind of throws us into the deep end in terms of of introducing us to the Bajorans, um, and because the Bajorans were introduced in TNG through Ro, Ro Laren, um, and but this really like kind of throws you into the deep end of the world building behind Bajor and Bajor's major religion um, and the oppression that they suffered at the hands of the Cardassians. Um, Cause you learn all of that here in Emissary. Um, you know, you learn that they've just won their hard fought independence from the Cardassians from that first interaction with Kira. Um, you learn about their religion through the scene with Kyle Paca and uh, Cisco, you know, like, oh, you're the emissary. And he's like, what does that even mean? Um, and, uh, you know, you learn, um, you know, kind of what they're all about. Um, and it's just very good world building. Um, the episode itself, I think, kind of drags a little bit in terms of its pacing. Um, but, I mean, overall, it's a good piece of like world building, you know, new world building in the uh, world of Star Trek. Um, But the episode itself, 
is a little bit on the forgettable side for a premiere, but again, it's kind of one of those, I don't think about it too hard because I just go straight on to the next episode anyway. <laughs> so I said this in my Where No Man Has Gone Before podcast, but um, Where No Man Has Gone Before is the pilot that was only 40 minutes or 50 minutes that I wish had more so we could see more of all those relationships that, you know, whether it be Kirk and Spock or Kirk and Mitchell, that we could, you know, you know, see that before the dramatic end to that episode. Um, Next Generation's uh, Encounter at Farpoint was actually two separate stories that got mashed together because um, Gene Roddenberry had to put his the the Q plot, which we all think of as encounter uh, encounter at Farpoint, was pushed pushed into DC Fontana script mm-hmm. to make it two hours. Um, DS Nine, like you said, it, it's on the forgettable side, but it sets up so much for the series, and I pro- I, I think it's probably the third in in my personal. Uh, it, of all the pilots from our era of Star Trek that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, Voyager, on the other hand, you know, Voyager has so much promise with Caretaker. I mean, it sets up all of our characters. It sets up our mission. Um, the only thing that I dislike about Caretaker is the lack of execution in the series, but that's, that's, that's for another day. Um what I like personally about Emissary is, you know, like you said, all the world building, the, the Bajoran religion, the the after effects of the Cardassian war with, with the Bajorans, um, trying to get the Bajorans into the Federation. You're getting backstory between Cisco and, and Dax. Um, and all that other stuff. Even you get the beginning of the. I won't say rivalry because it's not really. It doesn't become a rivalry until later on in the show. But uh, the antagonism of Cisco and Gal Dukat, who is by far, mm-hmm. even even though I love Khan, and he will always be my favorite movie villain, Dukat is the baddest villain of star trek (laughs) he's certainly the one that makes you love to hate him good day commander gold excuse my presumption but this was my office only two weeks ago I'm not used to being on this side of the desk. I'll be honest with you, Commander. I miss this office. I was not happy to leave it. Um, because you, because yeah. you go, you go from, you go from hitting him in the first couple of episodes. When he comes back, he comes to help. So he's a good guy. Then. Back to bad, then get back to good, back to bad. Yeah, throughout the series, yo-yos. But it's also like he's like he's like super misguided. 
Um, like I'm trying to do the right thing, but I'm also trying to accrue as much power for myself as possible. Um, and it's like, yeah, are you trying to do the right thing for the right thing's sake? But are you, I don't think so. Um, but yeah, he's, he's definitely a villain you love to hate. Um, and, uh, it definitely also sets up like, it sets up Nog like because you know nog is screwing around on the station and you know getting himself into trouble um and it sets up quark and rom and just all these these characters that are technically guest characters technically background characters but they just have arcs that are just as full as like the main characters in my opinion you know they really you know come into their own throughout the series and this episode sets them all up well i think for that so i'm gonna go a little on a tangent just into deep space nine since i know you like it so much <laughs> uh, something i was thinking about on my last like rewatch of deep space nine that i don't think i ever really fully thought of in any of my other rewatches and you can Feel free to disagree with me. Okay. So I think in the end, the the real world comparison of the Cardassians and specifically Gul Dukat, quite frankly, is Nazi Germany mm -hmm. and Hitler. Yeah. I think. And I think it was somewhere in like season five or six that I came to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. that I saw that parallel because the Cardassians, whether it was the first occupation or the second occupation of Bajor, tried to wipe the Bajorans out, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Dukat, by the end of the show, was a megalomaniac bent on, you know, you know, revenge, both on the Bajorans and then Cisco as the emissary. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's it's a straight across comparison, um, especially with Gul Dukat and, and Hitler, because Gul Dukat obviously had like an affection for the Bajoran people, um, you know, not counting his comfort women. Um, <laughs> um, but comfort men, women, what is that? <laughs> yeah, um, but. Like I think Adolf Hitler truly hated, like the these other quote unquote groups, you know whether they were gay people, transgender people, Jews, you know what have you. Um, I, you know, but Goldicott, I think he bought into the Cardassian line that oh we're trying to help these people, you know, um, and he had some sort of like he actually had some sort of attachment to the Bajoran people um, in a sick, twisted kind of way. Um, and uh, I don't know, he, Gold Dukat's a very twisted, interesting, layered character, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> well, I didn't think of it as a straight comparison, but right. that that's exactly like where my mind went. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it, definitely. What do you have, Commander? How's the local synth thing? Ah, you won't like it. I love the Vajorans. 
such a deeply spiritual culture, but they make a dreadful ale. Never trust ale from a God-fearing people or a Starfleet commander that has one of your relatives in jail. Is there anything else you want to bring up about Emissary before we get out of here? Oh, I just, you know, it's, you know, it's a strong pilot. For, uh, it's probably this one of the strongest, you know, in Star Trek, particularly of the Burman era. Um, and uh, I just really enjoy watching it whenever I decide to do another wash through of Deep Space Nine. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's just very interesting to see how all the characters go from where they are in Emissary and then where where we leave them at in where we left what we left behind. So I, I almost thought you were gonna say what we left behind as your ending period without the <laughs> Ending thing. <laughs> yeah, I thought about it, but I was like, oh, that'd be too cliche. <laughs> well, me, just like you, Emissary is number two in the Berman era of pilots. Number three being Encounter at Farpoint and four being Broken Bow. Obviously, with Caretaker being number one mm-hmm. for all the reasons of Tom and Harry. <laughs> the last two brain cells yes um <laughs> but um this is the one show i think that has gotten more popular because of Net- netflix that uh, ds9 and voyager both because most of us whether we were too young at the time or we just didn't have interest because now we're in the HBO Max, Hulu, uh, Netflix generation of we like those season long arcs. And that's Mm -hmm. something that DS9 started and Voyager kind of started before we knew that was where television Mm -hmm. and storytelling was going. And that's something as a writer, as somebody who appreciates an ongoing story that I really love. well, yeah, and and even its appeal today is because, you know, we ha- we are breaking so much ground in entertainment for representation, um, and there was so much of it in DS9, um, you know, because we had the first black lead, we had um, a trans allegory in Jadzia Dax, we had you know, and we had the first woman on woman kiss, uh, same sex kiss, you know, in DS9, we had, you know, so many other things, you know, and we had the, 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 the bisexual allegory with, with uh, Julian and Garrick. And, you know, so I think, you know, because of those kind of things that slipped under the radar, they weren't overt because of the time. Um, but because of those types of things, you know, people are uh, kind of latching onto it as like, okay, this is the grandfather of sapphic media today, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, Sky, I had so much fun today. I mm-hmm. hope you had fun too. Definitely. Always a pleasure. Until next time, old man. <laughs> Have a good one. 
Mr. O'Brien, I understand that I just missed you on the bridge. Yes, sir. I... I didn't want to disturb you, sir. Ensign. This is your favorite transporter room, isn't it? Number three. Yes, sir. Once again, I want to thank Sky for coming on the podcast. Had a great time talking about Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and everything else. We kind of went on a tangent like Sci-Fi Distilled with my friends Mary Beth and Mike Rizzo. So before we get out of here, let's pay some tribute to Sci-Fi Distilled, which is on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock on Facebook. Watch, and then you can catch them again either on a replay on Facebook Watch or through the podcast app Anchor. Check out Roy's Tie-Dye Sci-Fi Corner on Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and Alternating Sundays also at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you haven't already, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We're available through Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, and all those other wonderful podcast places. If you want to get a hold of us, We've got a Facebook page, FezTalks-Podcast, Instagram and Twitter at FezTalks, and if you want to write a letter and get a hold of us the old-fashioned way, FezTalks at gmail.com. Until next time, my fellow podcast listeners. I suspect that the sight of their warship being towed by a Federation runabout took the heart out of their fight. We're not done with the Cardassians yet. Not with the strategic importance of that wormhole. Well, you've put Bajor on the map, Commander. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Captain, regarding our conversation about someone to replace me... Yes, I'm sorry I haven't had time yet to communicate that to Command. I would prefer you ignore it, sir. Sure that I can. Are you certain that's what you want? Because we cannot afford to have a commanding officer who is. I'm certain, sir. Good luck, Mr. Cisco. <laughs>